This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. Hey everybody, it's Aaron Norris with the Norris Group. Today we have Rose Quint of the National Association of Home Builders. She is the Assistant Vice President for Survey Research, and she holds a BS in Economic and inter International Business, as well as a Master's Degree in Economics, and she's been with NAHB for almost 20 years. Her responsibilities include planning and conducting industry surveys, specifically around the builder area, build their sentiment, remodeling, and housing affordability. Just wait till you hear some of what's happened because of COVID. Let's get to it. Welcome, Rose. We're glad to have you back. Uh, it's nice to have you. Thank you, Aaron. It's nice being back. So the International Builder Show was, uh, I think, last week when we're recording this. How was it? It was a, a smashing success. There's no other way to put it. Uh, we had 70,000 people show up. Oh, wow. Yes. And, and if you were there, for any of your listeners that were there, there was a palpable energy in the air. You could touch it. People were so happy, so eager to learn, to participate, to go to education sessions, to listen to the exhibitors. It, it, there was an energy in the air. It was electric. That's how I best can put it. It was just an electric time for three days. I was super sad. I could not go. We are preparing for a trip to Florida. That's a build the rent. But uh, your presentations are always one of my most favorite because our audience is always real estate investors who are rehabbing houses and upgrading their stock. And it's always good to know what trends are happening in the new construction, but they're also doing more build to rent these days in different markets uh, nationwide. So really good stuff. But for those who are not familiar, familiar with the International Builder Show, let's just talk about it real quick. And if anybody can go for next year. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so it is going to be, let me see if I get the dates right. I think it's January 31st. Oh, okay. It's uh, earlier. 2023. Yes. So it's actually the, it starts the last day of January. It's in Las Vegas at the convention center, and it's going to be the, the biggest and the best ever. If this year has anything to do with any kind of predictor for next year, it's going to be a giant show. And they just announced that in addition to the kitchen and bath industry, which is, has been co-located with the IBS for a few years now, for next year, we're also co-locating with the um, hardware, hardware show. Oh. So even more exhibitors will be there uh, available for, it will just be massive. Just prepare to walk endlessly for three days. And I've been there several times as, as media when I wrote for Forbes, um, covering technology and, and items there at the show. And then if you've never been, I mean, the Las Vegas Center is, is huge, the convention center, and you're being able to walk through the kitchen and bath alone, it, it takes a day. So you yeah. have a lot of builders show up making deals uh, with different vendors, um, getting to see the latest and greatest technology by some of the manufacturers. I was particularly there the, the last time I was there, really interested in Moen, uh, their version of flow, some of the automation that was coming up that would impact prices of insurance. Uh, if people remember, I was really interested in that for a little bit, but was there any, go ahead. I was going to say, so overall it's around 500,000 square feet of yeah. that's covered that you have to walk if you really want to get your money's worth. And this year they, and they have started it. Um, I don't know that it was this year, but it's, it was there this year. I saw it. There's a new product zone, which is really fantastic. Oh. You, you go to it and it's surrounded. It has like these barriers that make it very clear that you're in the new product zone. 
that just show you stuff that's brand new that just got invented that just got accepted you know got a patent or just got launched in the market and it's just really neat stuff i'm not a builder okay i'm an economist but i even i find it neat was um, there anything that stood out to you as really interesting that you really loved yeah there was one thing don't ask me what it was called because i don't remember but it was it was this tool that allowed you to put nails into wood without having to kneel down so you could it was like a long piece of metal with mm -hmm. the little nails attached to the bottom and and you know some kind of mechanism that you could just shoot it from you know while standing up like a, a nail gun yeah but you don't have to kneel down so i mean mm -hmm. i don't do that for a living but that has to be a plus plus if you if you don't no longer have to kneel down to do your nailing uh, agreed. So if you've never been, I would highly recommend checking it out. Um, they have seminars too. There's sort of like a floor where you get to see stuff, but they also have education going on um, and different uh, opportunities to network with people around the country. There is a re remodeling uh, section of the, the conference. So really interesting. You'll have to check that out. So wanted to cover that really quick. Yeah. Let's, let's get into your presentation because it, it covers three different, um, it covers data from the census, um, the NH, uh, the National Association of Home Builder Builder Survey, and then the preference survey is really aimed more at the consumer, what they're wanting, which is always interesting to me because it doesn't always translate to what's actually being built. <laughs> so it, it's sort of forward looking of what they're wanting and probably will end up on the desk of the builders. But let's start at the U.S. Census. It was really interesting to see that home size, once again, is up year over year. And the last time we've seen these sizes of homes was before the downturn. So is this a predictor of we're going to have a downturn? Homes are getting McMansion sized or what's going on? <laughs> no, builders are adjusting. Builders are doing what they do. They're adjusting to the demands of the marketplace. They're adjusting to the demands of their buyers. So if I can take you back to after the Great Recession, so 08 or 09, uh, the size and the amenities in homes, um, you know, they sank real low after the Great, the great Recession. Uh, and then for a number of years, the homes got bigger, roughly between 2010 and 2015, the homes got bigger, they got, they, it was more likely that they came with four or more bedrooms or three or more full bathrooms. Um, and that was during the period of time when underwriting was really tight, if you remember those days, it was mm -hmm. really tight. And then only people that had super fantastic, fabulous um, credit history and employment history could even get a loan. Um, and so the houses that got built during the, that period reflected the type of buyers that were standing in the game. Yep. Uh, that sort of peaked in 2015. And then underwriting, underwriting became a lot more reasonable for some home buyers re-enter the market, younger buyers re-enter the market. And for a number of years, from like 2016 to 2020, we saw all those trends reverse and the average size began to come down. It was less likely that they had, you know, giant number of bedrooms or bathrooms or um, a garage for three cars or more. Those characteristics declined for a period of about four or five years. Mm -hmm. And then, yes, then 2020 came. COVID arrived in all of our lives. The world ended as we knew it. And builders had to adapt quickly to the demands of their marketplace. And yeah, so home, home is now where we live, work, play, educate. <laughs> it, yeah. It, yeah, it, I mean, our, COVID changed everything, how we exercise, how we work, how we study, how we pray, how we socialize, everything, everything was changed and um, how we exercise, definitely. And so, so it, yes, yeah, so there is now a new pivot point uh, that we see it in the data from the Census Bureau from 2021, um, where we see, again, size rising again, 
So it bottomed out um, in 2020. We see the average size of new homes in 21 rising to uh, a little over 2,500 square feet mm -hmm. again. And also, you know, the share of new homes with all those amenities, four or more uh, bedrooms, three plus full bathrooms, all those things rising again. Um, again, why? Because builders are responding. They're, they're adapting and they're responding to the preferences brought about by COVID-19. Uh, in very general terms, what are those? People want more square footage for the reasons you just mentioned, right, Aaron? Mm -hmm. We want to do the home. It, we just need to function differently in the home. We want more out of the home. Yeah, it was interesting to see uh, the patio has consistently been rising since the bench, uh, 2010. So I'm assuming um, when they say patio, that means outdoor living space in the backyard or does it matter? It could be on the side of the house too. Okay. Uh, yeah, it could be on the side of the house. It just has to have a, a concrete or, you know, a solid surface um, outside of the house. And uh, it's been rising for over a decade. Yeah. So, yeah. so then desirability for a patio is not new. Very uh, cool. So COVID did not come in and invent uh, the popularity of patios, but it certainly accelerated it. <laughs> more. Uh, because, and I'll tell you why, um, buyers now more than ever really, really, really want to spend time outdoors in the safety and the privacy of their own homes. And a patio is just perfect to do that. No, I totally understand. So it's really great that the I, I, you know, I didn't know until I started looking at your report that the U.S. Census was the uh, ones collecting that data as well. I thought it was the NAHB. So this is good. We've got some history on it. So it's very interesting to follow. So good. Okay. We've yeah. got more we space. We analyzed it though. The what? We analyzed it though. All right. Well, <laughs> let's jump into the builder survey. This is work that you guys have actually done. And can we talk about who, how many people take this and uh, what the goal of the survey is? So yeah, so we keep, um, and your, your listeners may have heard of this, um, NHB conducts a monthly survey of single family builders across the country called the Housing Market Index. Um, the NHB Wells Fargo Housing Market Index to be completely correct. Um, and, in, and that survey produces what's the best indicator of the housing market in, available out there called the HMI. Um, in which builders tell us how they feel, how their sentiment about new home sales. Um, and that number has a very good correlation with housing starts. So it's a very popular number among analysts and government regulators, uh, et cetera. But anyway, in that same survey every month, we include a set of questions that deal with something that's very a very hot topic for the industry, something that we really need an answer for that only we have access to builders and therefore can find it. And so a lot, of, um, a lot of people try to turn to us who are interested in finding out um, information about the home building industry. And we do it uh, for certain purposes sometimes that deal with research that I present at IBS. So for example, late every year, I ask builders across the country about the, feature they're, the features they're most likely to include in the typical home they build that, that next year, that year starting. And so we... <clears throat> excuse me, we did that for 2022. And um, I have a list, the most likely features that builders will include. And that's the, that's the operative word here. They will include it in the typical home they built. So these are not options. These are things that they will include in the typical home they built this year. We give them a scale, one not, not likely that I will include it, five very likely. So the, highest, the higher the average rating, the more likely. So at the very top, you have a walk-in closet in the primary bedroom, for example. 
very, you can almost be guaranteed sure that that's happening in the typical home this year. Uh, similarly, a laundry room, very, very likely, and a great room. Those are the top three most likely features coming to the typical home this year. How do you like those? I, I was really surprised to see very high up on the list this year. It seemed like more energy efficiency, whether it was windows or energy star appliances, more automation, um, low water things. A lot of different efficiency things made the list. Are, are buyers really caring about that? Yes, yes. So builders um, understand that the typical buyer is looking for a house that is green and green in a sense. And for buyers, let me let me explain that. For buyers, that means an energy efficient home. That's what green means to home buyers. It's an energy efficient home. And so they will include in from this survey, we know that the typical home in 2022 will have low E windows, for example, and it will have energy star windows and energy star appliances. And it will use efficient lighting. Those are bulbs that use less energy than your traditional bulbs. So yes, and water conserving toilets, as you mentioned. Um, so yes, um, the builders again are reacting to the demands of their buyers. I remember a couple of years ago, and I can't remember if you were the ones that said it in the presentation, but that the buyers were willing to pay a little bit more because of the energy efficiency features. Maybe builders were getting a little bit better at communicating. This home will actually save you money over the long term because of the technology included. At this point, is it just an expectation that these things are, are coming uh, in new construction? For some of them, yes. As you can, as I just um, went over this list. Some of the things will just come included in the, in the price of the home. The, the uh, buyers will not have to pay optional money to include some of these features. Some of them will remain optional, but the basic ones that we just went over, those are just part of the house now. Hmm. Um, and when you ask um, when you ask buyers about, well, would you, and this is an interesting way of asking, and we do that in our buyer surveys, we ask buyers, um, if you could save a thousand bucks a year, okay, in utility costs, how much extra would you pay upfront for the house? Okay. And so the last time we asked this, the average was around $8,000. Wow. Okay. So, so yeah, so buyers are willing to put in a little bit of extra money in, for, for, for a payback, right? It will pay back. It, the, the investment will pay itself over time. And investors who are renovating homes, please check with your local utility. A lot of the times they are willing to extend rebates for you um, on things that you're installing. It just depends on the money that they have and, and their goals. How much of this is driven by the consumer and how much is, uh, of this is driven by state and, and code around new building? Like in California at this point, new construction has to have solar. Correct, correct. So some of it in some states, it's, it's, um, a lot of it is driven by code. Um, in some states, it's, it's, you know, also buyers, but there's, as there are differences in coast, there are differences in buyers, right? Your buyers in California are going to expect more green features than your buyers in other states. That's for sure. That's true. Is there anything on the list that surprised you um, or that it's appeared for the first time that was surprising? Uh, no, I think, I think this list is very reasonable because it reflects home buyer preferences. Okay. I, I love that you guys also had a slide on COVID-19, what um, caused an increase in demand and, and, and what happened to builders and what buyers are, are looking at. Um, can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah, that was an interesting survey because we're getting lots of questions from, from people like yourself, Eric, 
what's happening? What are builders feeling? Are they, what are they noticing because of COVID-19? And so we asked, we said, um, have you noticed a significant increase in demand for any of these features because directly because of COVID-19? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I was going to ask, let's talk about some of the major ones that showed up that was a, a major yeah. increase in demand for sure. Yeah, so at the top, and I'm sure this is not a surprise to any of your listeners, it's a home office. 80% of builders across the country say that they have seen, they have noticed a significant, um, actually was to a major extent or to a minor extent combined, 80% of them have seen an increase in demand for home offices. Mm -hmm. Is is it hard to explain? Obviously not. (coughs) Excuse me. Most people want to have a home office these days, right? Whether you're a boomer or a millennial or a Gen Xer, uh, this is where this is where my mom is a boomer. She talks to my kids, right? They even even boomers, even grandparents need to have want to have a, a little space where they can have those Zoom calls. Yep. And then the next three that were all over sixty percent homes built in suburbs, exterior amenities like porches and patios. And then homes built in outlying rural areas. I thought the suburbs in the rural areas, both over 60% is, is pretty interesting. So people want more space. Absolutely. People, the location delta here because of COVID is very significant. Um, uh, we saw it very much at the beginning. It has slowed down a little bit, but it's still going. Uh, very much uh, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, how people wanted to just flee the cities and, and get away from the inner suburbs and go to pl- places where they could have the yard and the patio and the privacy of their own backyard. Um, so, so that's definitely something that's happening and builders are responding. They're building uh, more and more homes out in the suburban areas and in the, and also remember, Part of this is driven by the fact that people now can work remotely. Yeah. So when you're not tethered to your office anymore and you can be 50 miles away from the city center, uh, you can buy anywhere you want. It's it's true. We build in, in in Southwest Florida and I just we just finished we have a 200 page book that we create for people that come out and I to be honest with you I was a little uncomfortable. Um we had prices increase 40% in one year. Um, rents went up substantially and pulling the data uh, owner occupancy rates in several of the markets actually increased. So when you look at the IRS data, I'll, I'll get it probably in May sometime updated, but even last year, a lot of people are coming from the Northeast and they're looking at the prices down in Florida and laughing. Cause they're like, I'm used to paying, you know, three to $5,000 a month in rent. <laughs> and now I can have a four bedroom, two bath house. Oh my gosh. It's, it's really interesting to see depending on what market you're in. So I, I love this stuff. So good. One question, I'm not, what does structured wiring mean? Technology supporting features, it was like over 50% and I'm not familiar with structured wiring, what that means. Um, my understanding is that it's stuff that you put behind the walls in order to make it even more, in order not to rely on Wi-Fi because a lot of people want to have direct connections. Ah, uh, okay, to, like Cat5 kind of, stuff. got it. Yeah, okay. they want to have direct connections for, you know, for this fabulous Zoom meetings to not fail. Um, <laughs> right. Sometimes if you're in the third floor of a very tall house and the router's at the very bottom, then the Wi-Fi will have problems. Um, that has happened in my own house. Um, I know that for a fact. So <laughs> I am connected, hardwired to my router. This calls will never fail on my end. Yep. No, I, I totally hear you. Well, let's switch to the consumer hat in, in let's talk about the consumer survey that, that you do, how many consumers take it and how often do, does NAHB do it? 
we try to do it as often as possible. It is an absolutely expensive project to, to take on. Uh, it's very expensive to buy access to households. Uh, so um, over 3,500 consumers, these are people who have mm. bought a home in the prior three years or were planning, seriously planning to buy one in the next three years. And what I did this year is I, because I get lots of questions about millennials and what they want versus the other generations. Yeah. I produced data this year by, um, according to three generations, um, millennials, Gen Xers, and baby boomers. So if you attended my education sessions, you could see the similarities and the dissimilarities among those three cohorts. Yeah, this is such juicy, valuable information. And depending on what you're creating, whether you're doing a rehab or building new construction, if you know the market that you're targeting, there are some differences, uh, which is really good. And I do want to point out that you can buy the, the full report. Where would they go to buy that? Yes, um, that is available on, um, oh, you got me there. The website is called Builderbooks, Builderbooks.com. Okay. Builder yeah, I, I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there for a minute. Builderbooks.com and it's called What Home Buyers Really Want. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's an easy read and it's really important to stay on top of this stuff. And we want to support this kind of work because it's so valuable to be able to dig down to the generations to see, you know, what the trends are. So let's, uh, let's talk first about COVID and the different generations. Is there anything that, is this the first time, by the way, that you've, you've delved down into the generations? Uh, available in prior editions of the study, but I don't know that I had ever shown a light on it as I'm doing this year. Okay, got it. There's well, so much juice, like you said, there's so much juicy data in there. Uh, so many breakdowns by pr price points and race and generation and region of the country. You could spend months going through the various demographic breakdowns because the aim of the study is not just to tell builders, architects, designers, analysts like yourself, you know, what the average home buyer wants, but also how specific niche markets, niche targets, um, audiences, what they want in the home. So what millennials want, what people over 55 want, what, um, you know, Hispanics want, or what people buying homes over $500,000 want. So mm -hmm. all of that juicy detail is available in there. So fun. Well, let's start with, with larger homes. I think, you know, we took a, almost a decade off of building. When I look at the data and the build data across the last decade in the markets that we're at, I mean, it's, we're still not back up to where we were uh, before the great recession. We've got millennials entering the market. So one of the things I get asked a lot is, are we going to have a crash? I'm like, well, one of the things that's not happening is the builder is really building a suit. Now they're not building a lot of um, communities and then releasing them. They only build when people show up and say exactly what they want, which is way smarter. If there was even a little bit of a downturn, they're not sitting on a bunch of inventory and burying the people that purchased at full price. That's a huge change. And, you know, looking at what uh, the millennials and the different generations want, it's, it's so different. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, yeah. size. So I, I don't think this is really unusual. Um, millennials want a little bit larger compared to boomers. Does that surprise you at all? Doesn't surprise me at all. I think we should, before we discuss their similarities, Aaron, let, okay. me, just, let me just start by explaining something that a lot of people don't understand or don't know. And that's the fact that millennials now comprise the largest generational cohort of home buyers out there. That are no so, longer wanting to stay on their parents' couch. Yes, they have now <laughs> decided it's time to evolve. And so 37% of home buyers currently are millennials. Mm -hmm. About a quarter 
are Gen Xers and 32% around that are boomers. So about five years ago, the millennials uh, passed the boomers in terms of their proportion of the market. And so that's hence our, our need to really pay attention to what they want and, and where they're going with this. So you're asking about average size. So yes. So, oh, but let me tell you this before we get there. We asked the three different groups of buyers if they had been, if their preferences for their house that they want has been impacted by COVID-19 because we want to understand which one was more vulnerable to, to the changes coming from the pandemic. And over 30% of the younger two groups, that is millennials and Gen X buyers say, yes, uh, my housing preferences shifted because of COVID-19. That's big change. Yeah, that's a huge chunk, over a third, compared to only 18% of boomers. So if you're building for boomers, know that they're pretty much the same as before COVID when it comes to housing preferences. I mean, not many, not very many change what they want or how they want it because of this pandemic. If your target is younger people, they want different things. The likelihood that they want different things is pretty high. Okay. Okay. So in terms of how much space they want, the younger two groups want around 2,300 square feet. That's the median um, for millennials and Gen X buyers. You compare that to boomers, they want about 20% less space, around 1,800 square feet. Okay. So, okay. Yeah, that's no surprise there. I, I remember listening to John Burns and they talked about the concept of a jewel box in that square footage. Are they expecting a, a higher level of amenity? Boomers do. Boomers, boomers are very much interested in, if you look at the top 10 most wanted features among boomers, which is also in the study, um, you'll see that there's a lot of energy efficiency in the top 10 most wanted for that particular group. It doesn't mean it's not important for the other two. It, there, there are just other things that make it to the top 10 for the younger two groups. But if you look at the top 10 most wanted for boomers, there's a lot of energy efficiency. And I attribute that to the fact that they've owned a home in the past in all likelihood and understand the cost of heating and cooling a home. Mm-hmm. And okay. hey, I'm going to be traveling. We'll do cruises. I, I don't need to you know waste money uh, on energy. I want to drink on a cruise ship. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so yes. All right. And one of the things that was interesting is your side is prepared to accept to achieve affordability. So COVID is and remote work, of course, is going to pack millennials and, and, and Gen X and boomers might not care as much. Uh, but does any of this surprise you, the, the mobility and their willingness to go outside for the first time in rural markets? Yeah, no, this is a really important question, especially as we as we know that housing affordability is gonna to continue to be challenged in 2022 and ahead and, and beyond because interest rates are gonna rise and home prices are not, we're not expecting them to grow as much as they did in the last couple of years, but they will continue to grow. That's our forecast. Um, so yes, housing, housing affordability will remain a challenge in the future. And so we want to understand what buyers are willing to do to accept in order to be able to make the numbers work out, right? Because we all have budgets. I mean, most of us have budgets, right? Yep. And so we, from the research, we know that uh, boomers are more likely than the younger two buyers to be willing to trade off space, both in the house and in the lot itself in order to make the numbers work. Yep. And that's not surprising given what we just talked about. Um, on the other hand, the the younger groups are going to be more willing to travel farther. Um, yeah. 
right? They're gonna be willing to have longer commutes, move farther out if that's what's gonna make the numbers work. Interestingly, if you care to know what is the single most unlikely um, aspect that they're willing to give up in, in order to make the numbers work, all of the generations is the same item, is the qu high quality materials. Mm. That's the one thing near, nearly no one in any generation is willing to trade off in order to make the numbers work. Yeah, nobody wants to buy a new home and then have to do a renovation shortly thereafter. I can, they just want it done. Yeah. It's interesting. And since they're building the suit more often than ever, uh, they, they can select those going in and get exactly what they want, which is really, really smart. Right. Um, rural. I mean, are, are builders really talking about the COVID, the, the ability to work from home being really sticky and companies just saying, hey, this is the new normal uh, to attract talent. This is, this is going to be it. Um, so builders follow their customers. That, okay. I've been saying that for years. They will build that house, obviously where they can find the land and the labor, but they will do it where and how their customers want it. And so if the customers are saying, this is how far I'm going to be willing to be from the office or how far they're letting me stay away from the office, builders will stay there and that's where they'll put their homes. However, not everybody's willing to go there um, as far as a rural county, for example. There is a segment around 20, 22, 24% of the younger two groups who are willing to live in the central city. Our, our study does show that. Um, the, that number is much smaller among boomers though. It's about 14% among the oldest group. But there is a niche, there's a group of, of um, millennials and Gen Xers who will live in the central city. The, the most of them, though, the suburbs, that's where they want to be. You know, a lot of real estate investors are dealing with uh, new competition from iBuyers and, um, and institutional who are raising a lot of money. And it drives me nuts the way that the standard media covers iBuyers because they're like, oh, they're only 2% of the entire market. Well, no, they're not in every market yet. And they focus on a very specific category and that that's first time buyer price range. So when you dive down deeper in markets like Phoenix or the Inland Empire, um, in some parts of Florida, I've seen it, it's a much larger percentage. I And I was the one that reported to Bloomberg News that they were transferring off market uh, iBuyers to these institutional and nobody was talking about it because it was all off the MLS. So we have new opportunities though as well with COVID as real estate investors to look at some of these tertiary markets, uh, knowing that... It, Millennials are willing to drive if we have a good feature set and if we, you know, give them the features that they want. So just good to know. Yeah. Uh, top 10 most wanted features by generation. This is so interesting to me that some of these things are just <laughs> unique and common across like laundry room across the board. Everybody wants a separate laundry room. Yes. I mean, some of the things make every bit of business sense for builders and architects and designers to just say this has to be in every home I build in every home I design because you slice the data across any of the age groups, any of the generations, they all want it. So it makes perfect business sense in my mind to just include it. Um, a laundry room, a walk-in pantry, patio, mm -hmm. ceiling fans, and exterior lighting. Those five features are wanted by over 80% of all age groups of all generations in the study. So let's just assume that they're going to be part of the of the homes that we build going forward because everybody wants them. Um, so they're common across the top, the top three lists of top 10. 
Um, but what's also interesting, um, I think, is to look at what's unique in the most wanted list of each one of the three groups. And Absolutely. We just covered the, a few minutes ago, we just covered the, the, the uniqueness of the boomers list, which is all about energy efficiency. That's, that's what's in that top 10 list. That's not in the younger two groups top 10. Oh, you're right. Yeah, I'm looking at the chart now. That's a great. Interesting. Aaron, Aaron, can I ask a quick question? Sure. So maybe it's me growing up in the Scooby-Doo generation, but how come Secret Passages isn't on my top list? <laughs> I've only seen that once, Joy, in one <laughs> Oh my gosh. My partner would be so excited if there was like a bookcase that opened to a secret room and office. Are you kidding me? He would, he would lose his mind. It's not Harry Potter, okay? It's just <laughs> <laughs> well, um, let's talk about... Uh, uniqueness uh, of features by generation. Um, millennials, table space for eating in the kitchen and a dining room. Um, yeah, so, so more than likely this generation has children, mm -hmm. right? And these children have to be doing homework. They have to be looked at. They have to be paid attention to. And so this generation wants to have that space where they're cooking and doing homework and eating and, and all of that at once in one, in one combined space. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, the unique thing about Gen Xers, Gen Xers is a central kitchen island. You know, at the IBS, I don't know if you noticed at IBS walking through the exhibit floor, the islands are getting so rich. They're getting rich and so functional. It's no longer just a counter space. Oh, no. They've got storage underneath. They've got different finishes. They've got the, the waterfall. Oh. Ugh, HTV, they ruined everything. <laughs> oh, yes. I mean, I, I had never seen this. Some of these islands have, my mother would absolutely die for one of these islands. They have sort of a small garden built into the middle or the side of the island. So oh. imagine, imagine carving a hole, like a rectangular hole. It's very symmetrical uh, where they, I don't know, they put a pot in with the soil and they, and they plant their little flowers and plants right in the middle of your flat, of your island. It was, mm. all, it was all over IVX. Trust me, it was all over. Water, water inside houses don't mix for me. So. <laughs> yeah. so, so yeah, kitchen islands, very, very big. And they're growing in size too. They're bigger and bigger every year. But anyway, yes, kitchen islands. Um, I know we're running out of time too. So let's, let's talk about the most dissimilar preferences, um, making sure community features uh, in particular, um, uh, good public schools. I, I think there's no surprise there. Millennials want is really important where boomers don't seem to care that much. Yeah. Yeah. When we analyzed all 200 plus features in the survey across, um, you know, the do not want category by the three generations, it's no surprise that it's children that usually have the most effect in causing a divergence in preferences here. Um, the most dissimilar of all 200 plus features um, is good public schools in the community. It's something 67% of millennials won compared to only 27% of boomers. Um, preferences for select features impacted by COVID designated bike lanes. These poor builders are having to create such rich features. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. So we've seen um, three, I mean, some of the features that have seen the most increase in popularity during COVID are designated bike lanes, an exercise room and a home office. We already spoke about the home office, but when it comes to designated bike lanes, um, over 50% of millennials and, and Gen Xers say that they would be very interested in having that in their community, as, along with 45% of boomers. So even they want to go out for a walk or a jog or a bike ride. 
Very cool. I, I know we're out of time. Uh, I mean, hopefully the rehabbers on this call, you realize that there's data that exists that will help you build the right thing and rehab the right thing, stage the houses correctly to better target your product to what's selling on the market. So I will leave links to all of um, where you can buy the report. Um, there's a digital version. It's super easy and cool to download. And I look forward to it every year. So I want to make sure that I'm building the right stuff for our target market because we build with retail in mind. So I love this because it just gives me support knowing I'm by, I'm building the right thing. <laughs> so if uh, they're looking to connect with you, is there any preference uh, how they can do so? I love that you love it. So that's great. That makes my heart happy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, rquint at nahb.org is how you can find me. Um, okay. I'm happy to answer any, any and all questions. Very cool. I really appreciate your time and so nice to see you and have you back. Yeah. Thanks, Aaron. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.